This episode is sponsored by the Hohoba Company. I firmly believe that massage therapists should only be using the highest quality products because our clients deserve it and our own bodies deserve it. I've been using Hohoba for years. Here's why Hohoba is non allergenic. I can use it on any client and every client without fear of an allergic reaction. Jojoba is non-comedogenic, which means it won't clog pores. So if you have a client that's prone to acne or breakouts, Jojoba is a great choice for them. It also won't go rancid. It doesn't contain triglycerides like many products, so it won't go bad. This makes Jojoba a great carrier for essential oils too. And finally, Jojoba won't stain your 100% cotton sheets, so your linens will look better for longer, and since Jojoba won't go rancid, They'll always smell fresh and clean. For more information and to get some jojoba, go to massagebusinessblueprint.com slash jojoba. That's massagebusinessblueprint.com slash J-O-J-O-B-A. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Massage Business Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss the business side of massage therapy. I'm Michael Reynolds. And I'm Melissa Haynes. We are your hosts today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, happy weekend. Whenever you're listening, our listeners listen all different times of day and night. So good day, evening, morning to all of you. Welcome, welcome. How are you, Melissa? Wow, you're super chipper. I know. I just thought I'd just kind of have this extended <laughs> warm welcome to everybody out there listening today. You are like watching, was that the, the Truman Show where Jim Carrey's like, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening? Oh, is that where I got it? I like that show. So I like that movie. So I probably did get it from, from there. So uh, I had um, I have a story to tell, and it's a follow-up from the most recent episode that was an interview with Crystal Williams about uh, networking. So right after we recorded, and we recorded like – six days ago so with her and then popped that uh podcast episode out yesterday so um we talked about networking and she talked about having a name tag and i have uh been toying with joining uh, a chamber of commerce or something like that in my area and so i like right away before i could forget uh, ordered a name tag just bit the bullet spent 15 bucks at name tag i know i'm not affiliated with them in any way um but, and I want to get the name of it correct. So I just want to look up my thing. Yeah, so, I actually saw your post on Facebook. I'm going to go yeah. back. And- so nametagwizard.com. They're out of Florida. So I ordered it like right after we recorded. So it was like last Thursday afternoon. And um, it was 15 bucks. I got like, I think, I, I don't know if I got the metal or plastic one, but it's got a magnet back. It has my my massage practice logo and then my name. So nothing fancy. And I ordered it last Thursday and it arrived in the mail yesterday, but I didn't open my mail till this morning. So this morning I, I didn't even see it. Um, so like I opened, I saw this like padded, little tiny padded envelope on the counter. I'm like, oh, I got mail yesterday. Thanks everyone for telling me. And after I was crabby about that, I opened <laughs> my mail and it was my name tag and it came with two Tootsie Rolls. It was really- great. Yeah, and a little thingy that's like gives me fifteen percent off my next order or whatever. Or although I did just get an email from them saying they've got a thirty-five percent off deal happening right now. Um, so yeah, so shout out. This is not like a sponsorship or anything, but nametagwizard.com. It's a good looking name tag, and I'm really excited about it. And, and it's a great price, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think I ended up like, and I think I searched for coupon codes, so I got like 10% off, and then there was free shipping, or I don't know, something like that. So it was fourteen eighty five, man. So um, yeah, I feel really good about it, and I'm proud of myself for being proactive, and also I got two Tootsie Rolls, so yay. <laughs> so that's my, 
follow up. Go ahead. Sorry, Michael. I have no such exciting story. That's you. You win um, exciting stories for today. So I. Okay. Congratulations okay. on your new name tag and your tootsie rolls. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of myself. And also, I have done some more in the past week. I've done some more research on uh, the chambers of commerce in my area. And my next step uh, is to. I noticed that the one that operates like in my town, there's, I'm like right on the line of like counties and towns. And so like, I never, and like some people, like some stuff that includes my town all goes to the North and then right next to me, it all goes to the South. So like, there's nothing, there's no one group I can join that will cover like the clean radius around my office. So I've been looking into both of the ones near me. One of them seems to have some kind of political action committee that put out a statement about, um, uh, or the, I, I saw a thing saying that the political action committee was going to put out a statement about their suggested candidates for the previous election. And I want to check, I haven't, but I haven't found like the actual statement that says who they endorsed. So I'm going to check that out to make sure that the candidates they endorse uh, align with my personal values. And that will help me determine which chamber to join. And that that's a topic for another time. Um, we get really negative comments whenever I talk politics, but it is a thing that came up. <laughs> Um, it is a thing that came up in our premium member discussion group. Like what if your chamber doesn't align with your personal politics? So, but I'm very proud of myself because I have listed in my to-do list today to reach out to that chamber of commerce, uh, ask for that statement about who they endorsed and also just introduce myself and, um, say that I'm considering the, the chamber and stuff. So, and I've got my name tag already. So I'm really, really excited. It was a huge step for me. Y'all know how much I hate this kind of stuff and how it's so outside my comfort zone. So I did it. And that's my follow-up from the Tuesday episode this past week. I don't know. You could be listening to this way in the future and I'll find the episode number for you. But um, 189. So 189. Nope. Is I'm sorry. 190. 190. Oh, okay. 190 was our episode with Crystal Williams. So you should yeah. listen to that. Anyhow, let's move along. Let's move along. So we got some uh, really good questions lately, and one of those questions is specific to moving your massage practice to a whole new faraway place, like not in the same town, but just like to a whole new state, whole new city. So today, we're going to talk about how to move your massage practice to a new city. Woohoo! So we got a question from a reader who I will call Nancy, and it says... <laughs> Nancy. Nancy, because I thought of that off the top of my head, because I forgot to come up with a suit. All right, way to go, Nancy. Great question. Nancy. <laughs> um, so how... So the question, it was. it's a long question. So um, it was pretty much, hey, can you do a little something something on how to relocate your practice? How to do market research and figure out pricing and other things to consider? How much notice do you give your clients? Um, it would be good to have advice on how to handle it if you have to give very short notice because it happens quickly. Uh, our Nancy will be moving out of the state in the future and doesn't know where to start. Uh, state licensure, all of these things. So there's a lot to think about here. And it's a little frustrating because I can't give a perfect checklist that applies to everyone. So I'm going to do my best to cover the things and you got to make your own list. And one thing that I would note is that if you have done a good job of keeping your business records organized, you should be able to open your file, virtual or physical, and kind of flip through all of your documents and your insurance and your licensures and all of these things and create a list of things you need to consider and investigate as you move. So if you haven't done a great job of organizing your business paperwork, now might be a good time. And 
that going through your, your business history records is going to help you figure out what you need to do when you start up somewhere else. So let's talk about closing your practice and how did you so like ethically and mindfully honoring, you know, the, the, the loyalty of your clients, but without being so concerned about your clients that you, uh, you kind of mess yourself up. So, you know, something can, things can happen. Whereas if you announce that you're closing in six months, you're not going to get any new clients in those six months. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you don't want them, but your regular clients who taper off will, when they go to reschedule, they'll be like, ah, she's moving out of town anyway. I, I should just find another therapist or ah, I can't remember when she said she was moving. I'm not going to bother trying to schedule. So you don't want to give people so much notice that you, uh, I'm looking for really good terminology, but I can't find it. So uh, that you screw yourself out of income the last few months of your job. So keep that in mind. We want to have a balance here that is ethical to you and your clients. So the first thing that usually comes up is gift certificates. If you know you're going to be moving in two years and your state has a mandatory seven-year expiration on gift certificates, you're kind of begging for trouble if you keep selling them. So maybe you should stop selling them. The timing on that depends on the laws in your state that regulate such things. And if you're going to move in 12 months, you don't want to sell any packages that are good for 18 months. If you're moving in six months, again, you don't want to sell packages that are good for 12 months. You're begging for problems. You don't want to be uh, dealing with stuff more than you have to. So maybe stop selling them depending on the timing of the laws and in your state regarding expiration. And keep in mind, too, that, uh, you know, some states, when a business closes, that's it. Someone who's holding a gift certificate that is in date might, may not have any recourse. Like, I have more than once had held on to a gift certificate for a restaurant, and the restaurant closed, and there's no recourse. There's no way to get my money back. Um, so, you know, that's how it is in my state. In, diff in other states, when a business closes – a certain amount of money needs to be turned over to the state, I don't know if it's the attorney general or the secretary of the treasury, I don't know, so that anyone who's holding a gift certificate can actually uh, petition the state, set, submit an application to the state to receive reimbursement for those funds if the business is closed. There's lots of different ways that different states handle it, but I do want to point out that closing a business might be different from moving a business. So if you look at your state's stuff, and they say if a business closes, there's no recourse for gift certificate holders. The business just keeps that money. Like, one, that's a little unethical. So you have to battle your own demons on that one. But you, if you're just moving your business and you're not closing it, that could be an issue. So that might not apply to you. So if you're counting on moving and not having to reimburse or somehow be responsible for all those outstanding gift certificates, you could be wrong. And that could end up being an issue. So I, my two suggestions here are one, connect with a colleague uh, who is going to join to remain local to your original location and will accept them. 
then you then if you get a phone call or somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, I've got this gift certificate, but it seems like you moved. What do I do with it? You can say, hey, or hopefully you won't even have to deal with the phone call because this information will be on your website. You can say, hey, I made a deal with two colleagues around you and they would be happy to accept the gift certificate. So you can give them a call and schedule, let them know you're holding a gift certificate from me, and then I will, uh, I will pay them out from my resources. So that's another bit. This is the second part. You need to have the funds to refund people. So if you have been spending money that comes into you, if you have, if you have been spending your gift certificate income instead of stocking it away for situations like this or to reimburse yourself as the gift certificates are redeemed, that's a problem and you're gonna to wanna to save up some funds to be able to refund people or pay out a local colleague who is accepting them. And you might be able to work out a deal with a colleague. If this is someone who's looking for new clients and they are happy to take referrals as you close down and happy to accept your gift certificates after you move away, you might be able to work out a deal where you keep a little bit of the percentage. And you have, again, have to look at your referrals laws in your state, but, you know, if you're moving out of town and you've a colleague's going to take your one-hour gift certificate that someone paid whatever eighty bucks for, maybe you can just pay that colleague out seventy, or maybe you can pay them the full amount minus whatever credit card fees were involved, so they're not losing any money more than if the client just came to them directly. So that's a deal you have to work out, but. You do need to have the funds, maybe, according to your state laws, to refund people if they call you and say, hey, I just bought this gift certificate from you six months ago and then you moved. What the heck am I supposed to do with it now? You want to, I think, be able to behave in an ethical manner and say, here are your options. You can redeem this with a colleague or I can uh, send you a refund. I apologize for that happening. So there's that. That tends to be the big thing with gift certificates and packages. Michael, do you have thoughts on that? On that specifically, no. I have um, some other thoughts, but okay. on that, you are the expert. So All right. So how soon do you tell people that you are shutting down and moving? I say you want to think about your practice and how far out you book people. So if you normally book people two months of appointments out, then they're going to wonder if they come in and you don't keep booking them that far out and you're going to have to tell them. So if you only book people one month out, then maybe one month is the right amount of time. So you have to kind of think about it. For me, I think I would shoot for uh, eight to 12 weeks and uh, get all my regulars booked out for the remainder of my tenure at that location and not worry too much about the rest. So you have to think about what's right for you. And in this situation where you don't have a lot of notice when things happen really quickly, I think you need to tell people as soon as you know, but as only as soon as you have a plan in place. So if you find out on a Monday that you're going to be leaving town in four weeks, you know, if you can get a plan together in seven days, if you can talk to some colleagues, if you can you know, do whatever you got to do to say, okay, I am going to let my clients know I am leaving town and that they can see you for care and I'm going to refer to you and you'll redeem my gift certificates. Like as soon as you can possibly have a, I don't like to tell people things. I don't want to give them news if I don't have a plan for how they should handle that news and what they're going to do with that. So I think the moment, you know, plus the moment you have a plan together and make that as soon as possible. 
And, you know, if it ends up being two to three weeks, then it ends up being two to three weeks. Like ideally, you know, sometimes things happen and we cannot, we cannot plan when a loved one becomes very ill and we have to book out of town and put our practice on hold or know that we're going to shut it down because we're going to be gone for six months or, you know, things happen. I like a month uh, at least, but you got to do what you got to do. Any thoughts on that part, Michael? Not on that part specifically. I have a whole like um, grenade to throw in the conversation. So I'm going to wait till near the end to do that. So <laughs> I'm going to hold off on that. But yeah, yes, you're good. It's exciting. <laughs> um, and other considerations, like how are you going to handle this transition? Like how do you, and again, context matters here. How do you typically communicate with your clients? If none of your clients, uh, none of your regulars deal with email, then you're going to want to, if you have the time, do it in person as they come for the regular appointments and you book them out as far as your business will go and then refer them out. If the situation is too urgent for that, you're going to have to make a bunch of phone calls and that's okay. You know, write your script down and, uh, you know, practice it a few times and then start making calls. Start with the people who have been most gracious and chill with you so you can practice it on them. And let's, you know, are you going to have a holding page on your website? Like as soon as you know, you want your homepage of your website to say, here's the news. Here's what I think you should do with it. Here's who I think you should see locally. Here's what I'm going to do with outstanding packages and gift certificates. Um, you know, as soon as you have that plan and you've made the announcement, you know, I, I, my guess is you're going to stop taking new patients as soon as you make that announcement. Um, so that that works. That's okay. Michael, who's our halftime sponsor? Halftime sponsor today is our friends at the Center for Barefoot Massage. Yay! Thank you, Center for Barefoot Massage. They offer Ashiatsu continuing education across the country. They focus on a unique blend of anatomy-driven, game-changing, career-saving fashiashi courses that will totally empower you to provide massage techniques with your feet. They are leading a movement in niche marketing that offers massage therapists an opportunity to stay in the profession longer and even retire their hands all together. You can learn more at massagebusinessblueprint.com slash barefoot where you can register to win a free day of courses. Woo woo! Massagebusinessblueprint.com slash barefoot. And all right, you want me to go through more logistics of moving the business or you want to drop grenades now? Why don't you finish okay. what the episode was meant to be by doing that and then I'll drop the grenade at the end. Oh man, this is going to be a long one. So, <laughs> It's not a huge, it's just more of a slightly different direction of the topic. So go ahead and just do your thing and then I'll, I'll jump at the end. Okay. So when you, so we kind of covered the like wrapping up your old site, but meanwhile, and even beforehand, if you know you're going to be moving, there's lots of logistics to think through. And again, if you go through a lot of your existing business paperwork, it's going to give you a good idea of your to-do list licensing uh, state and local. And this is such a hassle in the US because we're licensed state by state and some states are not licensed at all. So as soon as possible, you're gonna wanna start researching stuff online. Uh, look at what, you know, online and then calling state and local offices, what are the uh, processes to, to get a practitioner license in the state and the town that you wanna practice in. So do your research, do your best to connect with some other massage therapists in the area, ask around, ask online, check out your, you know, massage discussion group on Facebook, start asking and talking to people, make actual phone calls to talk to people and find out what it's like to get licensed and do all the things. You might have to take a test if you never had to take a test. Like I got grandfathered into 
uh, my Massachusetts licensure and I would probably have to take a test if I moved somewhere else. I might have to take some more CE. I might have to take some more uh, primary massage education if the education requirements in that state are more than what was going down when I went to massage school. So you really need to look and plan ahead because it could be that you got to take a class or two or take an exam. Once you get the practitioner's ball rolling, the practitioner license stuff happening, you've got to think about facility regulations. Do you want to work for somebody else? Do you want to immediately open up your own practice? What are your cash reserves to do that? How much money do you need to save between now and when you're moving so that one, you can take a month or two off to get all your ducks in a row at the new location? And not just your business ducks, but if you're going to be moving, you know, your home and your family, that's that's going to be a thing. That's a whole project. So what do you need in the bank to not work for a couple of months and then to start up? Do you need uh, the original question from Nancy talked about market research? We don't have a ton of real strategic market research stuff except to Google the crap out of this. Like there is so much information available online now that a lot of what you need you can find online um, and then you can talk to people in the area you plan to move to and get a lot more there. Just looking at other businesses is going to give you a really good idea of what's going on. And if you're going to stay, you know, what kind of practice are you going to have? Are you going to stay in the same niche you're in now or are you going to do a total 180? Because if you stay the same, one that's going to help guide your research. So if right now you work uh, a lot on people with migraine and or TMJ issues, look around that area. Do you have any pain clinics? Are there lots of uh, migraine specialists around there? Like every medical practice and medical center has a website now. Do some, you know, maybe look at some online forums and, you know, Facebook discussion groups for migraine sufferers. Maybe look at some of that stuff. Find out if there's, again, a pain center or something. This is just an example. Um, in the area that you're around. If you're going to move to a city that is known for lots of corporate home offices and things like that, then, and you work on desk jockeys, great. Uh, so if, you were, if you're going to move to an area where there is a really vibrant, outdoorsy, athlete kind of community, and you work on that kind of person, great. But you got to do, see what's going on in the area you're moving to. If you're moving to a tourist area, what are the high seasons? What's in demand there? What are other businesses tending to do? Um, and maybe you want to do something completely different. I don't know. But much of this market research is available online. So if you do plan to have the same kind of practice, if you're not going to, if you don't need to change your niche, if you're not going to change your business name, most of what you do is going to be just like when you originally started your practice years ago or whenever, but it can all move. You've done the foundational work. So you can transfer all of that same information to your new location. You could use the same website. Um, just changing the contact information and the address and a few keywords to um, kind of embrace your new area. You can change your business operating address on most of your business listings online, including Yelp. If you have a really vibrant uh, testimonials and reviews on Yelp and your Facebook page and your Google business listing, you can change the address on those. And that will all transfer that, that history, that history and credibility, that archive of, of clients, uh, testimonials and such are going to transfer right over to the new address. 
if you're going to dramatically change your niche, then maybe you want to uh, change your business name and do all of that work foundationally from the beginning again. Outside of this, it's really tough for me to help make a specific checklist because state and local rules are so different everywhere. I can't tell you if you're going to need to go to your city clerk and get, uh, and if you're going to need to register your business name in a certain way or not because it's so different locally. But if you've got time and you're planning this move, you have the time to do the legwork on that and talk to people in those areas. So that's kind of all I got, Michael. Yeah. What do you got? So um, all excellent advice, which I agree with 100%. My question is this. Um, why would you not consider trying to sell your massage practice in certain situations? And I have um, lots of thoughts, but I'm curious what you think. <laughs> you know. That might be a dumb question. It's not a dumb question because, I, and I'm, I'm like, I'm pausing because I'm thinking in my head of a handful of people I know who have bought active practices and it's gone well for them. But I think you would be hard pressed to find a buyer. Like it's just not a thing that people do anymore. In, in my experience, that's what I think. Here's um, my theory. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just, I think that, um, I think you might be overestimating the number of practitioners who have the wherewithal, the knowledge, the means, the understanding of the value of that. So like someone who's been in the business for a while understands that like selling a practice has a certain value, but to get someone, like if someone's already started to build up their own clientele, they're probably not going to buy another business because they think they're doing just fine building their own up on their own. Uh, and a newer therapist, unless they are someone with some serious like history in business, isn't going to understand the value of that. And I just, it's so rare. Like I've seen businesses go up for sale around me and nobody buys them because even though they're fairly priced, uh, massage is such an individual thing that I think even when you buy a practice, unless your style is super super similar and your personality and your vibe and your bedside manner is super, super similar to the person you're buying the business from, especially when we're talking about one person massage businesses versus like larger spas. I like, it's just not a thing. It's just not, people are going to drop off no matter what, because you're not their person. And then like, you know, $25,000 buying a practice. I, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. Well, I, I agree for the most part, but here's my, stay with me on this thought process. I'm, I'm still kind of, uh, I am open. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking. So first of all, most people, I think when they move locations, their default is to just shut the practice down and start fresh. And if you're working from that as your baseline, to me, anything is better than nothing. And so you are correct. I don't see it happening that you'll, you know, get 25,000 or $100,000 for your practice or whatever. But what if you get 5,000? What if you get 10,000? And here's, here's a couple of different types of buyers that I could see working. So one would be a strategic acquisition buyer. The other would be a financial kind of lifestyle buyer or financial, also financial strategic. But, and what I mean by that is, let's say you've got a thriving practice, or even just a regular practice that's making you know, decent money. It's not, you know, you're not Scrooge McDucking yet, but it's, you know, it's going pretty well. You've got a decent clientele. There are certain things you could do in that practice that would add value to the buyer 
and make it potentially more attractive. And I'm thinking of perhaps, let's say you're an independent massage practitioner uh, and you know, within a mile of you, there is a larger spa. So let's say that your clientele, in theory, would be receptive to spa services and, and the type of massage they would offer at a spa. Let's just say that's true. So let's say you go to that spa and you say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, just shutting down my practice and I could refer to some colleagues or whatever, but, you know, I'd love my clients to be taken care of. I am willing to turn over my client list to you. I'm also willing to meet individually and talk to as many clients as possible to tell them that I have vetted a new location, I have interviewed therapists, I have matched them up with somebody I think would be a good recommendation for them, and I have done the legwork for them to save them the trouble of finding a new massage therapist. I've kind of done it for them, so to speak, and relieve them of that stress. And you know, would you give me maybe 25% of my annual revenue um, just to kind of take on my clients and to take on you know, maybe my assets as well, equipment or whatever, and that's actually a pretty good deal for the spa because they're getting cash flow of potentially 4x what you're already making in your business for like a fraction of that. Your clients are taken care of. You're getting more than $0, which is what you were planning on anyway. And everybody kind of wins and you've got some expenses or some, some funding to help you start up your new location. That's only one scenario. This gets even more valuable if you have memberships, if you have any kind of you know recurring clientele that you know schedule on a regular basis, any kind of recurring revenue really ups the value of that as well. So to me, if you're planning on getting zero dollars by shutting down your practice, anything more than zero um, is better than that. And I'm wondering if that is a potential route that some practitioners might be able to go. It could be. I think that um, as a whole, the massage profession's a, a little ways away from that being norm and I think people get really freaked out about the idea of like selling a client list like how does that work like how does that violate confidentiality is that in alignment with the things we need to consider um, if we consider ourselves healthcare providers is that a thing we can do are there state regulations about that like it's um it's super cagey and I also think that uh, as a whole and I, I happen to know Nancy and I know that she's super organized and she probably has a business that is structured well and could be put up for sale in that way. Um, I don't, I, 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 I think there's not much of a market for it is what I think, but I'm being like super negative. <laughs> well, I think you're right that there's not much of a market for it, but I am still, I still stand behind the idea that it's worth trying. And if it gets you, $10,000 as opposed to $0 when you move, I think that's potentially worth it. Yeah. Do you think it's worth it if someone's going to uh, just plant their same business in another location with the same niche and all of that stuff? Do you think it's worth it if it means they have to like change all their website and branding or no? Oh, yeah. I think it's totally – I mean, I think it depends on the dollar amount. I think if you're getting, you know – 500 bucks, then no, I, I don't, that's yeah, not much. But if you're getting $10,000, I think, yeah, that, that's enough funding to get a new website and new business cards and that stuff. I mean, that's actually, I think that's well worth it. And, and I think a lot of, and by the way, I'm, I'm coming to this from the experience of, I have experienced selling a business lately. And so I'm kind of coming to this, learning a ton about kind of the ins and outs of how this works, not about massage practice. I don't have any experience selling a massage practice. So I think you are correct. I think there's a reason that doesn't happen very often. It's a, 
it's a purely service-based business. It's very local. It's very personal. There's a lot of things working against the idea of selling a massage practice. But when you think about it, medical practices merge and acquire all the time. Uh, chiropractic, all sorts of other wellness and medical uh, practices merge and get acquired all the time. And that's not so different. And I think what's holding massage therapists back from also participating in that uh, buy, sell, merger, acquisition potential opportunity is just knowledge and knowledge both on the buyer and the seller's part. And I think if, and, and by the way, I want to keep this from turning into a whole new topic because it could, and maybe it will someday, but I think that there is room for, in the massage therapy community, for acquisitions to actually become more prevalent under the right circumstances. So I would, I would kind of fight for, for Nancy to maybe think about that. And say, before you just shut things down, um, maybe think about how you could potentially get a little bit of money out of your practice. Absolutely. And people, if you have experience buying or selling a massage practice, we want to hear from you. Podcast at massagebusinessblueprint.com is our email address. Because I am 100% going to make Michael do an episode on this. So we want to hear cool. from you if this is a thing you considered and trashed, you considered and tried, if it succeeded, if it failed, we want to know. Podcast at massagebusinessblueprint.com. All right, I'm done. Right on. That was awesome. Yeah. So I think uh, Nancy has some great advice to help with this transition. So we wish her the best, obviously. And there's going to be a lot of follow-up to this. So, you know, more questions in, more experience on moving. We'd love to hear it. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening today. We appreciate you being with us. Reminder, our website is massagebusinessblueprint.com. Check us out there for all the other things we offer, including a premium member community, which is growing every day, and it's amazing. We have so much stuff there for you guys, including high-quality professional stock photography, the best massage therapy Facebook group on Facebook, uh, a lot of premium resources, office hours for peer-to-peer mentoring and consulting, ton of cool stuff. So check us out there. And as Alyssa mentioned, the email address to reach us is podcast at massagebusinessblueprint.com. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.